I'm Josh Boaz. I'm Matt Zucker. There are a lot of podcasts featuring top executives. But what about the next wave of leadership? The makers and the doers. The ones we're all going to work for. We wanted to meet them. Find out their story, how they got to where they are, and what they see coming for everyone. This is a spotlight on those on the way up. This is Rising. Thank you for joining us on Rising today. Today we have with us Tony Ambrosa. Tony is the Chief Brand Officer at Carhartt. In this role, Tony leads brand engagement across the entire consumer journey at critical touch points, including TV, social media events, retail marketing, and Carhartt's direct-to-consumer business. Tony joined Carhartt in October 2010 as Vice President of Marketing and came with a strong background in the apparel industry and extensive retail experience, including work at Under Armour, Nike, and Planet Hollywood. Tony has a bachelor's from Columbia University and a master's of sports marketing, uh, sports and marketing from Indiana University. Tony holds several industry and nonprofit board positions and was recently listed as a top 50 game-changing CMO by Forbes magazine. Tony joins us from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Welcome, Tony. Welcome, Tony. Wow, thank you for that impressive welcome. Oh, it was, a, it was an impressive. Very nice of you. Impressive background. So I tried to, uh, I try to make it a little bit more modest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Nonetheless, it's it's hard to imagine all of those things adding up so quickly. So, Tony, you know, I think everyone, all our listeners have heard of Carhartt. Probably many of them are, are wearing Carhartt, but we'd love to hear the story kind of behind that. How how did you get to where you are? You know, what, you know, if you can walk us through high level, what was the journey like to to get to chief brand officer at, at Carhartt? Sure, sure. I, you know, the simplest way for me to start out the story is I grew up a small town kid in Ohio. I have a great grandfather who was a railroad engineer. Hamilton Carhartt, the founder of Carhartt, he founded the company in 1889 and he did it working with railroad engineers. There is a very good chance that he met my great grandfather. I will never know, unfortunately. But there's a very good chance he met my great-grandfather somewhere along the way because my great-grandfather was a railroad engineer in the B&O Railroad, which is, a, you know, it was a prominent railroad in its time in this area of the country as Hamilton was probably doing a horse and buggy sales, going to the railroad engineers to try to convince them to wear his, uh, his famous bibs that they helped him design and redesign to the point where I'm standing here having a conversation uh, with all of you or a we're having it virtually, I guess, right? 132 years later. And that's the amazing part of the story for me is that I have that connection that goes back so far. And to come full circle now and join CART in 2010, I never imagined I would, but I grew up with it all around me. I grew up in a rural part of Ohio where construction work and farming was pretty much a way of life. And most people pursued paths that, that went in that direction. I chose a different one. And I followed my passion all the way through. And, you know, I quickly realized with my first job out of college, and it was a fun one, but it was with a company called Movie Phone. So New Yorkers might remember it from the Seinfeld episode, if you've seen that. 777 film back in its day. I worked in the operations department. I think I was number seven on the employee list. And, and had I stuck around, I probably would have benefited from the IPO and the sale to AOL. Hard to imagine selling to AOL now, right? But that that happened, and that was a big deal then. But I quickly realized operations wasn't for me, and, and my passion was sport. I grew up loving sport, playing sport, participating in it, and I wanted to follow that passion more closely. 
and I went on to graduate school and tried to figure out what I wanted to do next. And, and, I, and I built upon that passion, really uh, being able to follow it and pursue it at its, at its peak in the world of sport with Nike and then Under Armour and uh, learned a ton along the way on that journey. Was graduate you know, school um, for marketing? Was it an MBA or was it a different kind of program? No, it was a master's. Yeah, it was a master's of science in sports administration and marketing. So at the time, I, I was like, it was, it was, it was an interesting time. It was the mid '90s. The sports industry was still kind of like a hobby. It wasn't something that it wasn't the juggernaut people would call it today. You know, when you when you look back on when you see the classic sports films, right, and you watch some of those broadcasts of games, even in the '90s, it's like, whoa, we've come a long way. So yeah, I was still trying to figure that out, and then I figured I would get my MBA, and and after I figured out what I wanted to do, and and landed something. But I ended up getting a chance after working at sports agencies and and for All Star Cafe, Planet Hollywood. But I was on the All Star side working with, you know, Joe Montana and Ken Griffey Jr. and Tiger Woods. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, the the All Star Cafe, Planet Hollywood promise, the brand promise, didn't live up to the execution consistently. And I was fortunate to get a job at Nike, where I spent six years working side by side with amazingly smart, you know, incredibly creative people, really understanding and learning the power of the consumer, putting them front and center in the storytelling and being a brand that can inspire people. And it was an amazing experience to also learn how to navigate a complex matrix organization and figure out how to get an, over, an idea over the top because that's, that was never an easy endeavor. Only the best ideas survived. And that was really the, the model. I was going to say, any, any advice for young professionals that are in similar positions in these kind of matrix organizations? Like, how did you stand out? How did you get those ideas to, to pop? Yeah, great, great question. What you learn pretty quickly is the power of champion, being a champion for the idea and, and, and stop worrying about who the champion is. And and what I mean by that is a lot of people are going to get fixated on, you know, being the person with the idea versus being uh, the person to champion ideas. And as you do that, you start to really become an advocate and a resource and a partner because everybody has a lot of them. Right. And you've got to work through a lot of creative ideas. But when you're working at a place like Nike, I mean, it's one of the most creative places probably on the planet still. Right. And, and, and you really are you really got to spend that time to understand, okay, the power of those ideas and then connect the dots. So what a lot of people learn the hard way, and I, I certainly learned the hard way too, is you got to figure out how to connect the dots throughout the organization. Understand how that idea is going to help propel other elements or parts of the business or areas over the top, and then connect them to the idea again and build the advocacy throughout the organization so that you get the momentum to the point where you know, it, it gets across that finish line, right? It becomes the campaign, the message, the story. And that was, that was really a key part of it. How did you learn how to do that? That seems like a skill somebody else would need to know about how to navigate an organization. And now that brand and marketing affect more parts of the organization, maybe than ever before, it might be something really important right now. No, it, well, I was fortunate my, my, uh, in my last year at, at Nike, I worked, it was, it was a strategic planning role working for the vice president of U.S. brand marketing. And I really saw firsthand, too, the complexity of how you're going to navigate. And this was years ago. Nike's such a different place now than what it was then. But still the complexity of how you're going to navigate a world where you have 
you know, a, a product team, you know, you've got sales teams, you've got, you've got creative teams, you have marketing teams all, uh, you know, up and down the spectrum, right? And how you can connect those dots effectively and get people, you know, the, the saying of everybody moving in the same direction together in partnership, it, it took, it takes time. You know, it takes a lot of lead time and it takes really understanding how the business operates and being able to better, you know, to proactively identify and plug those stories and ideas into the way the business operates. You know, when I joined Under Armour, it was still very young and it was pre-IPO and it was very focused on how do you show up and be look to the consumer as big as the biggest brands. And I thought that was a really interesting opportunity and experience to be a part of, right? Because that's that's a challenger brand mentality to say, okay, in this world, how does a challenger show up and to the consumer appear just as relevant, just as put together as as the next guy that's probably, you know, 20x their size, maybe 50x their size. And had a lot of fun being able to also spend more time, I, I would say at the execution end of strategy. Because at a place like Nike, you, you, you're either in the strategy or the execution, but you're not usually in both. When you're in a smaller organization, though, like an Under Armour, I had a chance to play in both the strategy and then the execution of that strategy. And that was something that we definitely did. And it was a sprint. I was there for four and a half years. And if uh, that's, that's, that's a heck of a marathon pace that, that you have to keep up to, to be able to go and grow the way they were then. It was $250 yeah, million. I was, at R- I was at RGA next to the... Um working on Johnson and Johnson, I sat next to the the Nike team and the pace they went at every morning and night meeting with the clients and churning stuff out was just an incredible praise. Every day was a sprint. It was, it was. And, and so it's, you know, so long story short, you know, the opportunity to work for a company like car was an incredible one. And, uh, you, you eventually have, well, I had, I had a wife and kids and I wanted to get to know them a lot more and be around a lot more too. And car afforded a little more balance for me than than the life experience and, and and the way you had to operate really in the sports industry for the longest time, at least the experiences I enjoyed. Love the industry, still very passionate about it. But I've also found uh, Carhartt has an incredibly passionate following and it means so much to so many people. And in the end, that's what I love. I love being able to be a part of a brand that people really care about and be able to make a difference in a positive one. And that's something that we love to be a part of at CART because we, we've been featuring, showcasing, and telling the stories of the people that are now deemed essential workers, right? We've been doing it for years. And today they're being celebrated and recognized in, in ways like never before. And, and we couldn't be happier for them, uh, but it's not like it's any easier for them either. And it's going to take more than praise. It's going to take a lot of hard work from a lot of people and companies to keep 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 them at the, I guess you could say at the forefront of your thoughts, but also, you know, and when we think about their needs as well, you know, across this, across this country these days. So, but that the journey in and of itself is, you know, I I like to break it down real simply, you know, you start with, you want a job, right? We all just want a job when you're starting your careers. Eventually you start to, you, you, you see an opportunity and you say, okay, that's a pretty good job. I'm going to take that opportunity. Then eventually, if you're lucky enough, you get to you get to go work for a brand that you really aspire to work with. You know, for me, I'm I'm a very brand driven person, and I believe in the power that brands brands you know have to make a positive difference. 
and, and, and you get a chance to work for those brands and then you realize, okay, th there's a lot here I love and there's some things that aren't a perfect match for me. And you explore other brands to see if you find the one that is. And if you're lucky enough along the way, you get to land in a place where the inside of the brand and the outside of the brand are pretty identical to what you believe and care about and think about. And so you get to live and experience a way of work and life um, that you love. And you get to be a part of a brand and represent a brand and communicate a brand that you love as well. And that that's the good fortune I have. And that's why I'm still 10 plus years, you know, fortunate enough to be a part of Carhartt and be a part of the Carhartt story. That's great. Uh, great story, Tony. Um, along that journey from like job to opportunity to, you know, finding that brand, what did you have to do to, to kind of stay relevant to, I'm assuming the skills you needed changed and, you know, from Nike to Under Armour to, you know, being the steward for a brand like Carhartt, like what do you do to, to keep learning, keep, you know, keep, stay relevant? Uh, it's a great question. I'm, I'm fortunate to be the son of two teachers. So I was raised as a lifelong learner, uh, overly curious, not something I always have to be careful about. It can be problematic as well. I like to ask why a lot. When Simon Sinek wrote the book, Start With Why, I was really jealous. I'm like, dang it, well done. He nailed it, but it is, it's like, why this, why that? Having that curiosity and that desire to learn, I've always, I've always thought of it this way. The consumer is always moving, evolving, and changing and looking for better ways to find what they're looking for, to experience the life that they're looking for, right? To make choices and decisions. As marketers, we have to do the same then. We have to make sure that we're continuing to evolve and change and keep up with that, that very mentality. So if you continue to have that open mindset that's fixated on your consumer, then you're always going to have to learn and you're going to have to grow and develop new skill sets. And the biggest thing that I would say that I've developed over time I had no understanding of the apparel industry before I entered it. I was very focused on understanding footwear and apparel at the beginning. Then I had to learn, you know, the basic fundamentals of, of how, how it all comes together. You know, when you think about the fundamentals of media and you think about the fundamentals of PR, you think about the fundamentals of, you know, sponsorship and event marketing, you know, but I, but I quickly became, you know, I, I moved into this generalist role that I, that I evolved into as brand management, where we used to say, you know, you're, you're accountable for everything, but you you control none of it. <laughs> and, and it's the jack of all trades role. Now, so you spend a lot of time then really gaining empathy and understanding because you can't do the job without spending a lot of time truly understanding what they need to do their jobs well. And, and along that way, I continued to, to discover this thing called digital. <laughs> and at Nike, it was in the early days of it, and we were excited because we would create games online and get people to come play them on the Nike website. And if they stayed two minutes, we were bragging about it back then. That's that's literally how long ago this was. But but we all started to quickly realize that this was going to continue to be a bigger and bigger part of people's lives. And so I, I really stayed focused on that. I haven't lost track of the realities and the fundamentals of like what you do in a retail store and how that operates. I'm very fortunate card to be responsible for the brand. And, and that includes our direct to consumer business and experience we provide people. So that gives me that connection to the realities of a brick and mortar experience and how that still matters so much today. But it's also kept me closely connected to our e-commerce enterprise for a very long time and given me the ability to continue to learn and understand that that is the front door for every brand and business, whether you like it or not, because the consumer chose it. And I think a lot of companies and great brands discovered that right away. 
and they've embraced it. And there are others that actually spent the pandemic trying to catch up to that reality when it was the only door and the only option. And I would just say I'm, I'm very fortunate that I've been able to you know, continue to grow and develop those areas at Carhartt this entire time and stay truly connected and focused to the, what the consumer was doing. So, Tony, I want to ask about category and career because probably intentionally you're at this intersection of apparel and sport, right? And you've done several jobs in a row in that space. A lot of people wonder about, can I move around? Should I I stick a lane and stay in it, whether it's what I do or category or um, stick with what you love? Do you have an opinion on that about, about, for others, about how to think about career and is it, can you navigate around it or should, is it, is a deeper lane better? Yeah. When I've, when I've had a chance to talk to others about it, when I've sought advice for my for my own career path, as well as giving advice to others, I've really always started with what they're passionate about. Zero in on what you care about and what you, what you, where your passions are. I, I really love. Not it's, it's interesting. I really love the elements and aspects of footwear and apparel because of how connected they are to how people relate to one another. The way you dress, the brands you wear, right? Often say something about your beliefs, your ideas, your way of life, what you do, your cultural disposition. And they play, whether you know we as human beings want to admit it, they play, it plays an outsized role in culture as a result of it. You know, you, you when you put you know a logo on your chest, you're willingly connected to that and willing to show up, let's say when we're not in a pandemic, right? At the local, I don't know, craft beer bar wearing that brand and you're fine with it when everybody sees you wearing that brand because you're you're like yeah th- i i like what this brand stands for that it, it actually rep- represents what i stand for so what i've often talked about to other people is do you really know what inspires you when you wake up in the morning if you go to that job in that other industry that's going to pay you more right now a year from now will that increased paycheck still get you up in the morning and still get you excited to wake up and think about the next great idea or the next great solution, or the next great, you know, whatever that you're going to be a part of building. Um, so I, I always ask people to do that. I do think it would be a good idea to think about how to, uh, if there are um, other industries, right, that are that are close in to the industry you're in, to be able to further broaden your career. I think it's always a great thing if it's still connected to what you're passionate about. How how has your management or leadership philosophy had to adapt uh, during COVID times? I'm sure there was uh, some lessons you picked up this last year. Wow, absolutely. I always loved doing uh, the the different like walkabouts. I would always carve out time in my day to do walkabouts to be able to say hello, you know, check in on people, you know, just just see how things are going, and and really kind of get a. a sense for the stress levels right you can you can get a sense for it if there's if there's positive energetic you know buzz and chatter going on that's great people you know are excited about you know whatever the campaign is that we're pushing next um but if it's overly quiet or if you're seeing people running and scurried about right you have a sense for okay people are stressed out right what's going on you know what do we need to do you know and the hardest thing that 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 i've found because i love i love being in the biggest biggest one of the biggest reasons i love being in the role i'm in is I get to be around a lot of people on a, on a big team and, 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 and stay connected to them. This is not the way I wanted to stay connected to people virtually. 
you know, talking over Zooms and, and, and we use Microsoft Teams and, and it's, it's really challenging and you can't, you know, I, I'll do calls to people and, and now I'm going to have to start emailing them ahead of time because I swear to God, I think I freak them out. But like, instead of my walkabout, I just try to call people and say, Hey, how are you doing? Not here to check in on the deadline or whatever. Just how, how are you holding up? So, you know, if there's one thing I would say is, you know, from a leadership standpoint, finding new ways to stay connected to people, finding new ways to make sure that, you know, what do we need to do differently from a culture perspective, bringing other voices in, finding people who can help inspire the team. So we do quarterly gatherings, virtually, of course, and we, we bring in, you know, guest speakers now. And it's been a big hit. They, they you know, they, we purposely try to find folks that are going to help address, you know, that are going to address indirectly the things I know we're all working on, right, to help inspire and connect people then um, to different ways of solving these challenges and to hear how they overcame them. So that's something we've changed and we've done differently. We've a lot more of the, you know, we, you know, you would do it, but you would do it casually before. But now it's very purposeful that when you're starting a meeting or a call with somebody, a one-on-one, you first ask, you know, you got to make sure, how are you doing? How's your family? You know, how are your kids holding up? The stresses of virtual learning, right, have been incredibly hard on a lot of parents. And the stresses and strains are great. So higher degrees of really checking in and having that you know, greater awareness and, and working harder on, you know, being empathetic to those realities that people are facing. And as a company, thankfully, I work for a company that, that operates that way. I mean, our, our owner, Mark Vallade, you know, every step we took from day one was always about the best interests of our associates and putting those front and center. And now, how, how do you think this will affect careers and or maybe performance of how we're all judged? Do you think do, do you look at your team differently now or or what you'll look for as success maybe differently or it will just or not? Well, that's a good question. And I think that if we have to do another full year, which I sure hope we don't. But I know that we're never going to go back to the way we were. People keep saying, I can't wait to go back to the way it was in 19, right? There's not going to be a way like 19. We're going to be hybrid to some degree. And the value of being outside of the office is great for a lot of people. It gives them separation and the ability to focus in ways that they need to focus. It gives them convenience and time. They don't have to commute, you know, but they also have a hard time unplugging. And so I think when we start to bring in, you know, the office again, where I'm hopeful that that will help people separate it again when they are working from home um, on those days. How will it affect people's careers? It's interesting to me. I thought it would affect it more in terms of keeping people where they are, you know, planted in their careers with their companies that, you know, during this time, if they're fortunate not to lose their job, right? Because so many companies had to let people go. Um, but it's it's interesting. I've seen there's been a lot of movement, you know, in the marketing industry. You know, when you look at like marketing leadership roles, there's been a decent amount of movement and people have been moving, you know, with this whole idea of like starting careers virtually at companies where they haven't even met their team, their leadership in person. They've met, they haven't even walked into the headquarters yet. And they're six months into their job and they're leading a brand. And so I think one of the bigger questions is going to be, you know, what, what, what does it look like to lead when we're operating in a hybrid world? And what happens to culture and how does culture evolve? And then how will leaders evolve with it? That's one of the things I'm really trying to figure out myself. I mean, I'll take any insights you guys have, but culture is evolving. 
And, you know, Karat's a very familiar culture. And by that, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a place where folks really like to know one another and have a high degree of, you know, uh, relationship with folks to be able to work on the tough projects and get things done and get them across the finish line. Well, we've grown in numbers too. Like I've, you know, listened to enough podcasts to fill my brain with a lot of good facts these days, or maybe some useless ones. And like one podcast I was listening to talked about how once you get past a certain number of people though, right? The, a human being's heart cannot maintain a trusted relationship beyond a certain number of people. And so what I'm wondering is how will that, how will this affect that, right? Like, how will we maintain those relationships that, that create and forge trust? Because if we, because we're going to have to change the way we do that. Because without trust, you can't, you can't succeed. One thing our leadership team talked a lot about is showing vulnerability. Yeah. So that, you know, this has been a great time for leaders to say they have to get off the phone, to... Not, you know, not be available to show that something's wrong. Someone said, like, it, it's just something that I think we all aspired to anyway, but this has made it more paramount. And that's a way to connect with a larger group passively, but it's real. Um, that's one, that's one thing that's come up for us. No, I was just going to say that's beyond true. I mean, I, I've reached a point many times where I've told the team, I'm putting my phone down now. I can't, I just need to not look at a screen. Sorry. I just can't, I mean, can't look at a screen, you know, after a certain amount of time too, because you, you get up at an early hour to start your day looking at a screen and you finish at whatever hour, still looking at the screen, putting it down and stepping away. And yeah, vulnerability. That's the, that's that whole checking in on people. How are they doing? How's your family? How are you stress wise? How are you navigating? Do you need a break? Take your vacation, get some time. Oh, yeah, no, no, I was gonna say, just following up on this, like one impact, I mean, I think mid career level people and up are, are seem to be doing just fine. And you know, you kind of have your networks already within companies. And what would be the advice you give to that, that, you know, young professional that brand new, maybe at Carhartt, how do they get noticed if they can't, maybe in the past, you would have seen them on a walkabout, but what do they need? Like any, any practical advice that you'd give them to, you know, in this pandemic world, or in this, in the, you know, the hybrid new normal, like, how do they start their career off? Yeah, well, I well, two things really too to go back to what we were talking about because we talked about this as a leadership team recently as well. As leaders, we we're we we're finding ways to create separation. On a call, maybe you go for a walk, right? Maybe you've got a thirty-minute window. You go, get a quick run in, and then you come back and you're on your next call. What we're finding too with that exact associate who's more like maybe one to five years into their career they're having a hard time thinking that they can step away from their computer, right? They, they think they have to be on so that they don't miss something. And they, you know, and if they don't respond right away, right, they're, they're, they'll be in trouble or something. And, and we're like, we've got to make sure they know, like, you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to step away. You're going to lose your creativity. You're going to lose your energy over time. You're going to run out of, you know, the, the adrenaline that's going to keep you going through these times and connected and inspired to the work. That's a, that's a big one. Um, one of the things I would say to, you know, in terms of raising your hand, um, making sure you don't get lost in the fray. It's, it's, it's interesting. And, and we say it, but it's, it's, it's age old, you know, when they could pop in by the door, there was usually 30 to 40 different people in, in my department that would pop in and say hello. And, you know, re, you know, regulars, so there's always going to be those that are 
more 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 willing to walk through that door because I put my I, I put myself in their shoes and I remember that very feeling and good lord I was terrified to walk through the door of some some different leaders through my careers right without a an express agenda and meeting on the schedule right what what I keep trying to do is those those outreaches and getting them to know that they can reach out they can check in they can just send a note hey i'm excited about what i'm working on i'd love to just talk to you about it like getting them to know that this whole idea of you know a, a hierarchy when you're virtual means you will literally live within a small little unit right and not break free of it and and, and that won't work at card anyways we're highly matrixed to be to be successful you have to be able to work across the enterprise and and learn how to navigate so the more we can convince them, the better. But I think that you know more and more of them often are are very you know they're afraid to make that like gesture and that outreach. And that's why I said, you know, that's why I try to do. I've got a, a phone list, and on my Fridays, I'm typically spending a little time on Fridays making phone calls. It, whether it's reunions, happy birthdays, I'm always trying to find too. Like give me another excuse for calling them so that so that I can say that at the front end and then just completely lower the expectation and kind of the stress level, right? Because it's like, oh my gosh, why is Tony calling me? I get it. I would have been the same thing. <laughs> like if I were to go back in time and think about me at Nike and, and the head of marketing was calling me, I'd be like, oh no, what did I do? You know? So, oh, where's that, where's that such and such? I better have it at my fingertips before, you know, he might ask me a question. So I get it. I totally get it. And it's harder. It's much harder. And we're all figuring this out as we go. But I think that's great advice for some of the younger people. Well, it's and if it's a phone call, right? They can't see your face. They can't see whether or not you're you're smiling and you're you're you know you're you're trying to encourage them to you know come through the door. So, and and plus we used to you know there would be you know have a beer together after five thirty. You know you know just let's crack open a beer and just talk and catch up. Anything we could do to relax the setting always trying to do that. But that's hard. It's really hard virtually. You have to you have to work even harder. Agreed. I, I, I'm looking forward to the return, even if it's hybrid, just for those like those whiskey Thursdays in our office, we'd always do like, you know, just uh, different groups of people. I know, Tony, you, like, no, I you know. like your whiskeys as well. So I do. I do. And and yes, I, I even if it's a couple days a week, I just can't wait to be able to say hello to people again. And check in. Now it's time for my favorite segment called Thank You Notes, where we ask our guests to thank someone from their past that maybe opened a door for them or gave them a piece of indelible advice, but something that really sticks with them today. Tony, who would you like to thank? It's a great question. And that's a, that's a tough one. I have a few that come to mind, but there's one person that I, that I wish I could still thank. And his name is Steve Carter. He was the VP of sales at Carhartt when I joined in October of 2010. And in so many ways, he epitomized the culture and spirit of the company. He took, he put his arm around me. He showed me this entire world that I didn't really know existed. When I joined Card, I knew the athletic industry, you know, and I'd spent, you know, 10 plus years in that industry. I didn't really understand the workwear industry from a, just a retail landscape. Who were the players? I didn't understand that there was a channel called Farm and Ranch. I didn't even know that existed. And I grew up in rural Ohio, but it, I still didn't recognize this channel of retail stores that existed. I had no idea that a tractor supply company didn't sell tractors. They actually sold Carhartt and dog food and bird seed and fence posts. And he showed me the ropes. He, he took, we went on the road. He, he took me in the 
deepest, darkest barbecue dives and we had the best food and, and always the best beer on the road too. And, and just the culture and connection to, you know, the men and women, you know, on, on the retail floors and stores that for many years helped Carhartt become and remain, you know, that authentic workwear brand of choice. And, and again, I know that I likely wouldn't be at Carhartt still today if I didn't have him there to guide me through the first, it was about three and a half, four years of my time there to, to really keep me like when I was going too fast, he told me to slow down. Right. You know, when I was, when, and, and if I was pushing too hard, he told me to let up a little bit and take another course. He taught me the art of giving, giving a retailer or somebody a good listening to like, Hey, sometimes they just need to say their mind. You don't have to win the argument. Just let them say their mind. And then you'd be amazed 30 minutes later, they're just fine. And you, and you would think you won the argument. Right. And, and it was just this, you know, his whole style and approach was so different from what I'd experienced in the athletic industry as well, which was very, it was filled with so much more of this competitive juice, juices and fuel. Not that he wasn't a competitor. I mean, he, he cared deeply about the Carhartt brand and that it was taken care of and well positioned. Um, and he really showed me the ropes about, you know, what the, what the brand meant and stood for and, and the company and the culture. And I miss him to this day. Unfortunately, he left us way too young, uh, due to that horrible disease, cancer. Um, but he is truly, if I could thank a person in today in person, uh, related to my career, it would definitely be Steve because I'm, I'm having this conversation with all of you and he played a big role in it. Wow. Thank you, Steve. I, I would say this, uh, you know, the interesting thing about your career is if you're fortunate enough to, uh, to move through the ranks, you have to be prepared to shift from spending all your time getting to be a part of building and driving the idea to creating a culture that builds and drives the idea and a team that does that, right? You get separated from that thing that actually started you off on this path and, and lit the fire of your passion. And you have to be prepared to be able to shift that to seeing it come to life through other people and teams. But for me, it's it's been incredibly rewarding and we st I, I still don't have it all figured out. We're, all, we're still working at it. Human beings are complex. We're all very challenging and difficult at times, right? And and it's just an it's an ongoing and never ending effort to keep learning and finding ways to do it better. Um, but in the end, if you can continue to create that environment of creativity, you still get to be a part of it. You still get to be around it. And that that's what that's what I definitely love to do. That's great advice. Thank you. OK, so now it's time for our top picks. And this is a, a book, an app, a podcast, a life hack, anything that we think our listeners would find useful. Uh, Tony, you want to start us off? Absolutely. So podcasts, since I talked about how we're all listening to more of those than ever before. As marketers, we've probably seen those stats and we're living proof of it. The one that I'm really loving right now uh, a great deal is called Hidden Brain. And so I don't know if either of you have ever listened to Hidden Brain. It's remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. And I got to give my wife all the credit. She, she was already listening to it. And before the pandemic, she kept telling me to listen to it. And I'm like, I just don't have time. And I love it. I walk away from every broadcast seeing the world a little differently and understanding something that I, that I actually spend a lot of time on too. Um, to right now, they're talking about why things are viral. 
and comparing like ideas, movements, concepts to viruses, but why some ideas move quickly and others take time. And it's just, it's, it's amazing listening to this because it's coming from, it's not coming from a marketer. It's, it's coming from a social scientist talking about the theories behind it. So it's, uh, it's well worth it. I highly recommend it. I think I've told, I don't know, everybody in my company um, that they should listen to it. It's phenomenal. So, so, so I would say, yeah, he's, he's, I, I'm trying to make it viral. So this podcast will be another one. The, uh, the book that I read recently is called Once a Warrior. And it was written by Jake Wood, who's the founder of Team Rubicon. And in full disclosure, we support Team Rubicon. They are known as gray shirts and they wear Carhartt t-shirts, our force line of t-shirts. And they are an amazing organization, about 100,000 members strong of volunteers. They are mostly like 75% of them are men and women who served in the military. And they are finding purpose in life again by volunteering in support of people uh, responding to uh, natural disasters. And sadly and unfortunately in this country and world, we have all too many of them these days. And uh, his book is a phenomenal story of someone who, ser- who played football at the University of Wisconsin and then beca- entered, became a Marine. And then upon returning from the Marines was seeking purpose. And the earthquake in Haiti was a chance for him to do something different. And he responded and Team Rubicon was born from that event. Wasn't from a business plan or a big pitch. And uh, today now they're one of the most successful organizations. And, and they have uh, FEMA uh, clearance to be one of the first organizations on the ground at every natural disaster in the United States. So his book is phenomenal. Great. Thanks for the recommendation, Tony. Uh, Matt, you got some picks for us? I'll just do one is, you know, we just started recording on, this is not an ad for them, but it is an endorsement on riverside.fm. So I guess you could join, you could judge by the quality and stuff like that too, but I'm really enjoying it because the producers before were criticizing me for being a bad sound quality and a bad microphone. And I spent a fortune on microphones only to find out when we switched platforms that it wasn't my fault. <laughs> so I'm excited to endorse riverside.fm for all your podcasting needs. Well, we'll see. We'll see how this works out. Thanks, Matt, for that passive-aggressive uh, recommendation. <laughs> um, so mine's a book. It's uh, called Origin Story, uh, A Big History of Everything by by David Christian. And it's, uh, yeah, I'm only maybe a third of the way through, but it starts from the Big Bang all the way to how the Earth was formed to single-cell amoeba. On, and it's just, you know, it's, I, I'm not, you know, I'm you're, you spend all your days in marketing and business. It's like, it's nice to just kind of zoom out. I mean, this is as far as you can zoom out, right, to... And it kind of opens up your, your your brain a little bit. And I just, I, I listen to, I, I read it. And then I also just listen, switch to audio sometimes when I run. And it's just, uh, it totally disconnects me from the day-to-day and the news. I, mean, I don't need any more, any more news. So, so I, it's, uh, it's been a, it's been an interesting one. Um, well, sometimes, yeah, that it, it is great to be able to spend that time and energy on something that is completely separate, but it still gives your brain, I, I, I think it helps. It helps you do. It helps you solve all the work-related problems too, because it gives your brain a break from them. So I couldn't agree with you more. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. We've we've enjoyed our conversation with with Tony Ambrosa, the chief brand officer at Carhartt. Tony, what's the best way for listeners to to follow you or, or connect with you? Yeah, thanks, Josh, for asking. And by the way, thank you both for uh, this time. I enjoyed it. So uh, the best way is probably on LinkedIn, so that you can find me on LinkedIn pretty easily and reach out to me. I try to update or post the different things that we're doing at Carhartt there and the things that I really uh, 
love to showcase and, and shout out about that the team uh, is getting after and making happen. So that's probably the best way. Uh, quite honestly, I'm on some of the other social media channels, but not an active participant. I, I've tried to streamline and reduce my social media in life as much as I can, especially with the pandemic, because I found it it's playing a bit of an outsized role right in society today. And it's uh, it's good to disconnect from that. I have, a t I have teams that keep telling me everything that we need to know about it and making sure that I'm up to speed. But yeah, LinkedIn would be the best place for sure. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Our theme music was created for us by Movers and Shakers, a really cool creative studio who use original music and dance to bring brands to life. It's such a fresh approach to telling a brand story, and their work really engages emotionally with consumers. In fact, they recently won a Webby. You can watch their videos for Match.com, Little Tykes, and others on their website, MoversShakers.co.